This was a Brain Freeze podcast. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You're in the right place. Don't worry. Welcome to the Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Tess Yanos. Whether you are new here, old here, or got lost and wound up here, welcome. OCD is a podcast for every level of comic book fandom, so whether you've been reading comics for 20 years or 20 minutes, there's something here for you. You know what? I'm just going to jump right into it today. We've got a really rad guest on the show, and I'm so excited to introduce her. I was first introduced to her through her book, The Unstoppable Wasp. Then I went to see what else she had written, and holy moly, are you ready for this? In the comics world, she has written Marvel Action Captain Marvel, My Little Pony, Star Trek, and Jim and the Holograms, to name a few. She has also written games, anthologies, and books. Her long list of books include The Fangirl's Guide to the Universe, Conquest, Girl Squads, The Fangirl's Journal for Leveling Up, and DC Brave and Bold. She is also an on-air personality for Nerdist, Teletoon, Canada Cineplex, and so much more. Uh, When conventions used to be a thing, she was also a frequent moderator for panels and talks. She is all that and so much more. I am so honored she is on the show this week. She is Sam Mags. Welcome, Sam Mags. (laughs) Hi, super excited to be here. Hi, thank you for being here. (laughs) This will be so much fun. Yes, totally, totally. So, um, okay, so funny thing, serendipitously, I emailed you about this. I was in Barnes & Noble, just, you know, kind of walking around, and I saw your book, The Unstoppable Wasp, and I opened it, and you, your signature is in this book, and we had already scheduled to have, like, to record this day, and I was like, oh my gosh, that just reinforces that we should have this show. That's so crazy. Oh my so gosh, crazy. that's hilarious. That's amazing. <laughs> funny story, you know, about being a mid-list author as I am, as I went to that specific Barnes and Nobles, excited to see my book on the shelf because I was like, oh my God, I get to, it's out, I get to see it, that makes it feel real. And I showed up and they had no copies of it. Oh. And they were like, do you want us to order some? And I was like, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> and they were like, what's your name? And I was like, it's the name on the book. It was like really mortifying. So <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> So did you have a signing? I guess you must have had the a signing. The books came in and they called me so that I came and I signed the book. And they put a little sticker on it. It was like, yeah, it's super glam. So. That's amazing. That's amazing. You have to go in and be like, yo, let me sign my book. Do you mind? It's brutal. Brutal. I mean, I wish Barnes & Noble is usually wonderful and like... It, the pandemic has been very weird with like distribution and booksellers and all of that stuff. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So weird. And like this book came out during the pandemic, right? Yeah. In July. So That's like crazy. not too soon after the start of the pandemic. So people didn't really, well, I think we're all still in all these industries really struggling with how to release art during this time and you know marketing Mm. is really different and publicity and all that stuff and obviously that is the least of our problems we're trying to stay alive and stay employed and all that stuff but it's still um it's tough you know it's it's a new challenge I would say totally totally and like you used to, I mean, I say used to, and you will when they come back. Um, like I mentioned in the intro, you did conventions, and I went on your website, and there's just, like, oodles and oodles of talks and things. So that that was, like, a chunk of your life, I assume. So that that was probably just, not, that probably hurt when you can't do it this year, you know what I mean? Yeah, during a normal year, I'm at a convention or on tour at a bookstop, you know, every about once every three weeks. Um, which is really super fun, also super exhausting. I took 2019 Mm -hmm. off from doing that because I was like, oh, I got a lot of books out in 2020. I'm going to be traveling a lot. Like I better take the year off so that I'm like, I can do a lot of work and I can be well rested for 2020 where I'll be traveling all the time. And then, um, that didn't work out. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it is different. It is different. It's hard. And it's a bummer too, because conventions are, a place where you get to connect with people like one-on-one and face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people get to tell you like, oh, I, I like your work or they get to discover your work or you get to meet like-minded people and new friends. And um, not having that is a real, it's just like it really takes a hit to your like social life. Like I, all my friends that live all over the country, I only see at cons and mm-hmm. um, to like being able to get your work out there. And, you know, I, I don't have it nearly as bad as artists who – rely on cons like almost 100 percent 
right. <clears throat> for their income. So yeah, it's, lots of folks have taken a hit in the industry. That's for sure. Yeah, that's it's just nuts. I mean, were you able to like take this time to write more, to create more, come up with weird kooky ideas, more ideas? You know, not what I mean? really. Or... It's funny people keep being like, "Oh my god, there's no excuse. Like you should oh, do god. so much more art." And it's like, no, there is an excuse, which is that like the world is ending and my family lives in another country and I can't get across the border. And even if I did, I might murder them because I've just been on a plane and accidentally gave them the coronavirus. Like it, it, there's all oh. this like outside stress and pressure that I think people are not taking into consideration when they say things like oh you're home like make art whatever like it's really we only took the first step towards ending fascism like one day ago so (laughs) it was just like there's been a lot on our minds this year it makes it hard (laughs) and if it's been hard for you and you're listening then it's okay like yeah that's normal well not as normal but you know to feel weird yeah totally yeah during this time. it's totally weird it's like people i mean i just got back into work and um it's like somebody brought up they're like that just everybody remember those five months off that you just had were not a vacation we are not yeah. considering that a, conv- a vacation <laughs> definitely yeah um well you being so sweet to everybody out there the listeners already um is another reason why i am so glad that you were on because your books are i mean i i read the unstoppable wasp which was just incredible but oh, the thanks. way yeah, the way that you and I just can't wait to hear how how you got into this, but um, just the way you talk to your audience. And I noticed that you write towards a younger audience. Usually it's just so like you you bring in everybody. You're like, hey, anybody reading, there is something here for you. And it's just it was just I, I mean, I can go on and on, but I want you to go on and on. Like how where does that come from? Oh, thank you. So that's really kind of you. Um. I I think it's because when I was growing up, I was really into sci-fi, fantasy. I loved Stargate SG-1, which, <laughs> like, really dates me. But, um, and I, you know, I loved fantasy novels, and I loved Battlestar Galactica and, and all that stuff. And so Battlestar was, like, a little later. But so often it was hard to find, uh, you know, media in that vein, be it television shows or movies or books or especially comics. I didn't even start reading Mm -hmm. comics till I was in college because of this, but it was so hard to find any of it that was aimed at me as like Mm -hmm. uh, a young girl reader or as a bisexual person. I didn't even know I was bisexual until I was in my mid twenties because I never saw it in media. Didn't Mm -hmm. even know it existed. Like (laughs) basically, you know what I mean? So um, it's just, it's, been so important to me as I become sort of a professional in this field that I represent as many people as possible on the page or on the screen because I think that you know we all say representation is important and it's kind Mm -hmm. of like rote or it sounds like lip service at this point but it isn't representation is important we all need to see ourselves as the hero of our own story and not like the supporting cast member in someone else's story Mm -hmm. um and I, I just don't think, you know, even now as things are getting better incrementally and slowly, I just don't really think we're there yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I feel like it's important to, to do that. Yes. I want to do that. Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, just... <laughs> Uh, like I was I was like thrown like I was flabbergasted the way you were you were talking about like the the main girl um I apologize if I pr- mispronounced her name Nadia Nadia Yeah you got it you got it Nadia um she went to therapy and yeah. she, her and her friends helped her deal with her bipolar disorder um and and helped her embrace it and love it and they came together as as a family even you know like even though she had like a troubling past and you brought up her troubling past and I was like yes girl yes like that's what our like kiddos need to read yeah that's the fun thing about Nadia and it's something that my editor and I talked about a lot while we were working on that book is that um Nadia does have bipolar disorder but it is just it is not what the book is about the book is not about a girl who has bipolar disorder the book is about a girl who is a superhero and uh is trying to be a good friend and is trying to learn how to drive and Mm -hmm. uh loves music and is a ballet dancer and has bipolar disorder and doesn't know how to be a good stepdaughter and doesn't know how to be an American because she's an immigrant and like all she's dealing with all this stuff you know like especially as women 
um, or girls were often told that we can be kind of like one thing that, mm. you know, we see all these different ways to be men, especially in like teams that are made up of like eight dudes and one girl, you have like funny guy, smart guy, cool guy, <laughs> strong guy. And then you have girl and girl has to stand in for all girl. And like, that's not really how it works. <laughs> you know, I think right. this is one of the reasons why, um, Sailor Moon was so popular was because we did have suddenly all these different ways to be a girl represented on the screen and none of them were the right or wrong way. They were all just different. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, you know, it's, yeah, it, it makes a difference. We're complex. We're people, you know, shocker. Yeah. We're, we're people <laughs> and people are complex. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we're all made up of more, there's all more than one facet to all of us, you know? Yeah, it's it's incredible. I love it. I'm like, I'm already like, hey, everybody, go buy all of Sam Mag's books and oh, give it to your gosh. kids. And like, Thank you. <laughs> seriously, so I, I truly mean that. It's I was I, I have not read a kid's book like that. It was like the, the books that I read for me were like, like, um, trying to think Ju- Judy Bloom, which was yes. I loved her. Millie Bedelia, stuff like that. Um, I liked a lot of like spy books and things like that. But like, the way you talk to and like always like our younger selves are always present anything anywhere that we are every time we wake up they're always there they're always present they're always listening yeah I feel like you were talking to like young Tess and I don't mean to like make it about me but like I was like oh my god like I was a kid that had all those 100 things to do and I my mind you know 100 things were happening and I couldn't explain it all but there was nothing to help me represent what that was and it was like we grew up in the 90s and and it was like you know the parents kind of followed the, the parents code of the 90s where it's like you kind of talk about your emotions or you don't and we don't really talk about those things that are bad things but like this one you're like no talk to people make make people make friends with people who understand you so so um incredible (laughs) thank you yeah yeah um okay so let's go back to a young sam if we will what got you into just the nerd world at, at all yeah, my parents were really into it. They went to see the original Star Wars A New Hope in theaters more than 20 times when it came out in the 70s. And my dad read Silver Age comics when he was growing up. And um, I, I guess instead of rebelling and getting into football or something like that, I just kind of went with it. So I was I was really into all of that stuff growing up. Like I say, I started watching Stargate when I was like 11. Um, I went to my first convention with my mom when I was 18 super fun and you know kind of introduced me to the the world of online forums and online friendships as well and um it's always been a place where well first of all i think that sci-fi especially um has always been really progressive in terms of representation in general mm-hmm. you see that even going as far back as like the original star trek tv show which was the first interracial kiss on television and you know basically led to the invention of um slash shipping and modern fan culture as we know it today which is largely um run by and populated by girls and women um so i think that's probably part of why i was so into sci-fi and stuff because there were a lot of like (laughs) badass babes basically um but yeah so i've always kind of it's always been a thing that i've been into but i didn't always feel welcome to talk about liking those things in the place where you, where you were sort of allowed to talk about that stuff because mm-hmm. I was a girl. It made me feel like, <clears throat> of course, the early 2000s were a very different time. Now nerd culture is pop culture, but at that time, you know, it was kind of like, oh, if I tell people I'm into this, they're not going to like me. They're not going to think mm. I'm cool. Um, like at school and stuff or online, it was very much like if you say you're a girl, you get kind of hounded about it or you didn't feel like you were welcome in comic book stores or gaming shops necessarily because you were a girl stuff like that so it took me until I was in my early 20s um and I moved to like a big urban center Mm. where I could kind of find like-minded people a little bit easier to start being really like open about that so yeah awesome that's awesome so like you were just kind of raised on it and then Mm -hmm. that's awesome um, what was your, you said that you didn't get in the comics until you were in college. When did you, what was your first comic? Can you remember? <laughs> yeah, it was Runaways, Marvel's Runaways. Oh, nice. <laughs> which is still one of my favorite comics to this day. Brian K. Vaughn is a genius. It was illustrated by Adrian Alfona, who's a Torontonian like myself, which is very cool. I love Canadians in comics. And uh, <laughs> it was the first time I had really, this is ignorance, obviously, at the time, but it was my first introduction to a comic that had characters that, like, 
looked like me and talked like me and represented me and my friends. There were queer characters and characters of color and a team led by a, a black kid. And, you know, it, it was just like, oh, this looks like it was made for me and is speaking to me in a way that, like, many, I don't know, 90s comics were not made for teenage girls, for the most part, if you've seen any of them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so there was, I read Runaways first, which, like, got me into Marvel and comics, and then the second thing I read, because I was like, Brian Cable and Slaps, was Why the Last Man, Mm -hmm. which is probably my all-time favorite comic, Um, and they're finally making a TV show of it, which I'm excited about. So, yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, my husband's really into those, and he keeps pushing me. So I gonna have to review that one day on this. They're um, great. It's about a world show. where all of the men die instantaneously, <laughs> which is really appealing. I love that you started it with "They're great." All the men die. <laughs> That's what the book is about. It's like, it does follow the last man, so it's kind of like a whole book of chicks who follow this one guy. But it is like it's it's really it's fascinating. Yeah, it's great. That's it's awesome. written really well. That's awesome. And it's drawn Love by it. Pia Guerra, who is, is also wonderful. Um, and I believe Canadian as well. So, Hey, Canadians, man. I'm I'm starting to meet a lot of Canadians lately. And I'm like, why are you so awesome? Oh, you just happen to be Canadian? Of course. Like, you guys are just awesome up there. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Seriously. What's, what's in the water? <laughs> Where do you make your wishes? A shooting star? Genie? Wishing well? Well, you should be careful what you wish for. Break a Wish is a podcast where all your dreams come true, but with terrible, ironic costs. Each episode, hosts Maddox Campbell and two guests take a magic wish and try to come up with a balanced, ironic cost. Perhaps it's, you can get any food you want instantly, but all food you eat becomes the wrong serving temperature. Or you never get itchy again, but you always feel just a little bit damp. Or maybe you can produce bees from your hand at will, but you must name every single one and love them like a cherished pet. Then they put it to their audience to vote if they'd take that wish or not. Like a magic-fueled game of Would You Rather. Currently, they are diving into some great films about magic wishes like The Little Mermaid, Labyrinth, and The Wonderful Ice Cream Suit. Break a Wish podcast is brought to you by the Sonar Network. Check out all the great podcasts in the Sonar Network at thesonarnetwork.com. Um, but anyway, so okay, so all right, you you love comics, you like you're in the you're in the nerdum, and then you go, hey, I want to write this. Like, what what was that spark of inspiration when you just wanted to write it? I kind of didn't have that, if I'm being oh. honest with you. So I, because I didn't know that that was like a thing that you could do. So I was from like a small town in Canada. Um, I eventually moved to Toronto and stuff. I did my bachelor's and master's degree in English. I've always loved writing. It's always been like a passion of mine, but I didn't really know um, how to do anything with that. It feels very like out of reach, you know, like I could never that's not for me. Other people do that. I could never do that kind of thing. Um, but so after I graduated from school, I got like a normal job. I was like a publicist, like a regular life job, but I very quickly was like, Oh, I miss writing. And so I started to write online for local outlets who were writing about nerd culture because that was kind of the only, that was my passion. It was what I did. It was my hobby. It was I played video games, I went to conventions, like I read comics in my spare time, you know, this was like the thing I knew how to write about, so I started writing about it online, and I was posting a lot on my Twitter, and, you know, publicizing my articles and stuff, and I got found by a website at the time called Geekosystem, out of New York City, um, where the sister site to a news website called The Mary Sue, which is a website dedicated to, like women in geek culture and that kind of news and so I transitioned over to that site and I ended up writing for them for a really long time and that was like I was being paid to write online and to write about nerd culture and I was again I was sort of building my following on Twitter and through that I got approached by a literary agent who asked me if I ever considered writing a book and I was like no (laughs) <laughs> what do you, I can't do that that's crazy like <clears throat> other people do that that's way too complex for me like I don't I've never considered this in my life 
whatever. And she was like, you should do it. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. All I know how to write about is girls and geek culture. So I guess that's what the book is going to be about. And I sold the Fangirls Guide to the Galaxy um, a couple months later. And they gave me 90 days to write it. So it all happened like very quickly. But I never probably would have considered like being able to do this if other people had not reached out to me and given me a chance to do it. And the same is true of video games. Once I had written like several books at that point and I was doing like the Cineplex stuff back in Canada, like I was like the Maria Menounos on the movie screens in Canada. That's awesome. It's very bizarre. The standards there are much lower, which is very fortunate for me, but um, (laughs) in terms of like people who are allowed to be appear on screen. But, you know, I, and I had been going to lots of conventions for a really, really long time, and I saw an opening come up at my favorite game company, and they were like, no, you should do You should do a test. Like, do a writing test for us. Like, we've read your work. We like it. You should try it. And, you know, had people there teach me how to do things. And it was the same in comics. I had an editor who was familiar with my other work reach out to me and be like, are you interested in pitching on a comic? I think you could do it. And they showed me how to make a comic, essentially. And I think that's a really important message is that like nobody is able to do the things that they do alone. Everyone has mentors or people who help them or colleagues or people in your own cohort who come up together, um, who are all able to sort of help each other and lift each other up. Like nobody does this in a vacuum. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an overnight thing. It it takes time too. That's, that's. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And you just, you just built up and built up. Um, that's that's amazing, and you've got all of these wonderful books, and you've got you've got comics out. You got games. You write games too. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, and so, were you a, were you a big gamer? Where or did you just fall into that? Or yeah, that I was a big gamer. I was. I played a ton of my like console of choice growing up was the N sixty four. Though I did have an Intellivision before that. I was very into Burger Time. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I played a ton of N64 growing up. Um, and PlayStation 2. Those were my like earliest serious consoles. I played a lot of Spyro and a lot of uh, Mario 64 and nice. Ocarina of Time. Like all that classic stuff. And I had a, a GameCube and played a bunch of Luigi's Haunted Mansion, which was fine and super mario sunshine which was fine (laughs) uh when i moved away to college i finally got a playstation 3 and i played like dragon age and mass effect and skyrim and those like big sweeping rpgs and i was like oh man this is awesome so it's kind of been with me like my whole life it's always been something that i love to do as a hobby but again Mm -hmm. nobody ever tells you when you're growing up that you can well didn't when i was growing up certainly um (laughs) where I grew up like no one was like you can make video games for a living and get paid money for it (laughs) like and certainly not without being like and you have to go to school to learn how to code and be like a computer programmer which like I my father is a professor of computer science and I was never going to be that I'm sorry dad (laughs) didn't work out (laughs) um but my earliest gaming memories are like sitting on my dad's lap when I was a toddler playing like doom with the lights off which probably like scarred me in weird ways like should not have been exposed to jump scares at that early age like in the darkness and we played when I was like yeah when I was like a kid like 10 like 9 or 10 we played all of mist and this was before like cheat codes and stuff so we were just like struggling through mist together like I played a ton of games with my dad growing up so um yeah, like, it's literally always been a big part of my life. <clears throat> um, but again, yeah, nobody ever tells you that you can be an artist and make video games, be a writer and make video games, be a project manager and make video mm. games, be a social media manager. I'm just, it wasn't a thing in 2002, but, like, you know what I mean? There are all these <laughs> yeah. other routes into making video games that don't involve programming mm-hmm. um, or design, so... I just I just didn't know until I started meeting devs at conventions and they were like we write video games and it was like oh my god I want to do that (laughs) that sounds like it rules (laughs) it also pays money which is great (laughs) love that for an artistic career choice yeah Uh, it's that that weird crossroads of like i want to do my art and it's like if if you could in a perfect world you wouldn't ask money for it you know you'd just be like here here you go is my gift to the world but you got to yeah absolutely if we had universal basic income my life would look very different (laughs) yeah for sure 
Oh, totally. I love that um, you're you grew up on all this 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 geekdom uh, all over. So like you had a pretty like. So, so like for me, I'm just getting into the world of nerd, but I didn't realize I, I always thought I was weird and an outcast when I was a kid. And then I grew up and I was like, oh, you're just you're a big old nerd. And here's your tribe over here um, in the nerd world, which is really fun. So that's amazing that like you had um, like a basis for that. So you go into it and you already have this like knowledge of, you know, g- gaming and and things like that. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I was super lucky. It's funny. My parents all the time always make fun of there were so many parents when I was young because we we watched a lot of TV when I was growing up. Like every night I would sit down and watch like four or five hours of TV with my parents and it was like a bonding thing for us. And we would always talk about like the shows and the stories. So it was really like interactive television and mm-hmm. they would pull me out of school to go see like the Phantom Menace premiere or the Serenity premiere or whatever. Like we were, very, we're like a big pop culture family. Um, and we had all these gaming consoles. It was very fortunate to like be able to afford that growing up. And um, my dad, being a computer science professor, had like a laptop, and so I was able to kind of have have a word processor from a young age and all that stuff. So we had all this technology, and we were always surrounded by the early two thousands were like a weird time for like very um, like moral panic about mm-hmm. kids watching too much TV or like TV will rot their brains or video yeah. games will will make them violent or whatever. And so people would always be like you let your daughter watch television or like you let your daughter play video games and they they faced a lot of that like parental judgment pushback when I was growing up and the choices they made and now they like laugh at those parents because they're like yeah we did and guess what her life's cool as hell now yeah (laughs) I mean do do they still do they like are they like hey have you seen the latest avenger movie are they still oh my god they are like more they watch more television read more comics read more books Ah. than i do to this oh yeah opening night avengers like they they live on the east coast i live on the west coast so they now see these movies three hours before i do because they'll go at like 7 p.m on opening night and i'll have to be like you can't text me until I leave the theater and then I call them after the movie and then we like debrief on it and like they're they're two episodes ahead on the Mandalorian I'm behind right now like when we moved into our new house my parents got us a baby Yoda it's like a house (laughs) they're like very and it's cool my mom still comes to conventions with me like most people who see me at conventions are very familiar with my mom because she she comes to lots of conventions with me and it's cool because it's like it's a way for us to bond over stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. relationships with parents can be like hard or touchy or tumultuous about like political issues or all this stuff. Like <laughs> it's a great way for us to um, have like a common ground to discuss like issues and, and different things. And yeah. it's been a, a cool way for us to stay connected, even as I've become like an adult and have moved away and I'm an only child. So they're like, oh. we have a very small family. My, my mom's an immigrant. Like, we're very like there's basically just three of us so <laughs> yeah but it's cool it's it's I feel very lucky that's incredible that's incredible <laughs> I mean I mean I'm sure there's people out there who have parents I know there's people out there who have parents that like you were saying before they're like what are you doing why, why are you making money doing what video games comics oh yeah What's totally that? don't get it my mom's job? played all the mass effects she's played all the dragon ages ah! like, <laughs> on pc she's like a pc game it's, it's bananas oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's amazing well, I'm just gonna have to have her on here next because she's <laughs> sounds she like she knows her stuff love that <laughs> oh sweet 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 oh that's incredible I love that I'm smiling from ear to ear that's amazing that's amazing um all right well okay so all right you're in you're in the fandom you're in the world you're in you're a nerd um what's what's your favorite I gotta know your faves okay I got a list of things here and I sent you a few but I came up with a couple more all right Who's your favorite comic book character? Captain Marvel. Captain Always Mar- has oh, been. You wrote her. You wrote her comic. Hello. I, I mean, I know oh. it's huge for me. I grew. I grew up like from when I started reading comics onwards and playing like Marvel Ultimate Alliance and stuff. Ms. Marvel, mm-hmm. like the OG form of Captain uh... Marvel, when she had like the black bodysuit and the black boots. She mm-hmm. was always my favorite. Like Carol Danvers was always my favorite. And then when Kelly Sue DeConnick gave her the reboot into Captain Marvel. 
um, like five or six years ago, I was so stoked on that because she was my favorite and it was such a cool reboot and it was awesome. And then once I started working like professionally in this world, I got asked to pitch on her comics. It was very high stress, but it worked out and I tried for her. But there's like a picture of me in 2009, like dressed up as Ms. Marvel for Halloween <laughs> one year with like the boots and stuff. So <laughs> I have proof. <laughs> Did you like the movie? Did would you did you approve all the way through? I did. I loved the movie. I I like I love Brie Larson. She wouldn't have been who I would have picked for that role like oh. if I had the choice, but seeing her do it, I think she does a great job. Um mm-hmm. and I love her personally. Like I think she's amazing. So, um yeah, it was yeah. very cool. I I I enjoyed it. I did too. That was, um, that was right after, pretty soon after Wonder Woman. And I don't know about you, but like when I saw at least one, I know I'm talking about Wonder Woman, but also like Captain Marvel, when you see them up on screen and they're doing all these badass fighting Bolt. stuff, you, chills, right? Yeah, totally. Cause you never saw that. Like we've never no. seen that. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. I cried. I was yeah. Like, same, 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 like, same. Yeah. What What do you mean she's what? And and they were what I also love, which is kind of oh, silly. I'm so sorry. That's my doorbell. That sounds like a Halloween demon. If you pick that up. Oh my god. I love <laughs> this. Sorry. I love this. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping that in. That's awesome. perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, what I was gonna say was uh, oh, like in, in also in Birds of Prey. Sorry, I have a zillion things. When I talked oh, to like uh, Birds of Prey. Oh, good. Okay, because they because also during these fight scenes they got. The women actually got hit equally. You know what I mean? That seems yes. so weird to say. Did you notice that too? Yes, they get the crap kicked out of them in yeah. like a way that feels like the way Captain America gets the crap. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. So good. Yeah, it's so good. And you'd think like, what do you mean you're Matt? You know, you're okay. Here's the thing: like, if you if you shoot over to like Charlie's Angels, um, or just any like sort of fighting movie where there's like. I shouldn't say Charlie's Angels. Excuse me. I, I like a, a fighting a fighting girl movie. We all know them. We, they're in our yeah. heads. But like the the part where the two girls fight each other is always like the side fight. You know what I mean? Totally. Like it's the fight that nobody really cares about. We don't really check in on that much. Yes, and when we do, absolutely. we're like, oh, yeah, the girl's winning. Whatever. Right. She got punched in the tit. Cool. Let's move on. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and like totally. these were. Uh, not that way at all yeah it's like and it was just you don't realize that you're missing that until you see it and you're like oh this must be what boys feel like (laughs) i know that's what my one of my good friends meg smitherman who works at ew she was like came out of wonder woman and was like is this what men feel all the time (laughs) like i feel like i could rip down a barn with my fists (laughs) like this is this is amazing and it's just like none of us had ever like experienced that kind of feeling before (laughs) which is wild but true totally totally i freaking loved it um and with that said who's your favorite villain (gasps) i don't think anyone has ever asked me this question before Okay. <laughs> and I, I don't have a, like, prepared, I, like, I have canned oh. answers for a lot of questions. I've done a lot of interviews over the last five years. Oh, I'm sure. So <laughs> it's like, you know, I can pretty much rattle off, like, favorite this, favorite that. Favorite villain. This is yeah. so interesting. What Ooh, a great okay. question. Okay, no, I have it. This is very, okay. like, niche. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's Ball from Stargate SG-1. Stargate sg One's my favorite. Mm. Like, Is that? Fandom. I'm looking it up right now. Ball... Um, B-A-A-L. Aha. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this the show or the movie? It's the show. Okay, cool. Um, He's just really... He's really hot is the first thing that I will say. <laughs> like a Backstreet Boy. <laughs> he looks like a Backstreet Boy. He's he's got a South African accent. Like, we can all get behind it. But he's like the OG himbo. Like, he's just, like, very stupid and very pretty and very evil. And that's, like, a really killer combo for me of things that I enjoy in a villain. Like, dumb, pretty, (laughs) like, bad, but, like, maybe a little good. Like, you could kind of see how he could be good if he, like, turned things around. Um, (laughs) But also you could just beat him up, but he's still a pretty... Yeah. Yeah. I can dig it. Looks good in a leather jacket. (laughs) You know, the bad boy thing. Yeah. That's a good one. 
He's got the high collar going on. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pirate facial hair. like That's a great question. It's exciting to be asked a question I've never been asked before. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but also, like, terrifying. But also great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's, I mean, great. I, I always felt like the villains. I mean, have you seen the HBO documentary where they, I can't remember it. And every time I freaking bring it up, I'm like, I'll go look it up. And I always forget to go look it up. Um, it's like they talk about... They talk about comics. I mean, gosh, which one? Um, uh, it's it's a comic book documentary, HBO. All these amazing writers are talking. But my point is that they have this conversation about villains. And they're like, you know what? You can't have a story, a comic story, without a villain. Especially in, like, old comic days. I think now they're kind of changing a little bit. But, like, I feel like the villains back... Like, they had to be, like, spectacular like think about all the old yeah. school villains even the new school villains they're pretty spectacular on multiple levels i mean, you know what I, I mean i agree that like your story is only ever as good as your villain and i think that is something that comic book movies have struggled with with like largely disposable villains that don't always feel three-dimensional like mm. they're just like i want to be evil or whatever and you're like but like why <laughs> don't, what's like, your really... trauma what's going on yeah like for what reason you know bad guys who think they're the good guys are the best bad guys you know yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. do you have an example I'm trying to think of one too yeah like I okay Guardians of the Galaxy is <clears throat> one of my favorite Marvel movies and I think it's because um, Ronan in that movie thinks he's like he's doing good by wiping out this race right. of people that he feels are deeply evil you know what I mean and like mm-hmm. to him that's mm-hmm. that's fixing something that's good mm-hmm. and you know that's how you become single-minded in your like goals is you think yeah. that you are righteous um but yeah everyone else looks at that and is like that's e-. I mean Thanos is a great example of that as well right he's like the yeah. way to fix the universe is like I snap my fingers half the people disappear and you're like well <laughs> I mean like conceptually I guess but it's not yeah. like a great concept <laughs> there's like a lot of I see a lot of flaws in your logic but like yeah. he thinks he's the, the good guy here yeah. right so um I think that's the best kind of villain I like your examples way more. The first guy that popped into my head was the the Incredibles, the first one with that guy. Oh, who, totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah, where he wanted to be a superhero, then he turned bad, but he thought it was... It, yeah, it's like... And it all... I mean, you've written villains before. Um, like, how do you get into the mind of a villain? How does that happen? Again, I think you try to think about them as, like, they... <clears throat> what do they think is righteous? Like, what are they trying mm-hmm. to do that they think is going to save the world? Like, what makes them the hero in their own mind, you know? Right. And in Unstoppable Wasp, you know, Margaret, who I don't know if you would necessarily call her the villain, but is mm-hmm. um, a foil to Nadia, um, mm-hmm. a mentor and a foil in a way, thinks she's saving the world with, like, an experimental technology, you know, that she hasn't really thought through all of the potential uses of before putting mm-hmm. it on the market. And I think, like... Um, you have to think about, like, I have a graphic novel coming out co-created by Kendra Wells called Tell No Tales, which is about, mm. based on a true story of, like, women and non-binary pirates in the 1700s. Um, and so they're up against this British commander who truly believes that wiping all pirates from the face of the earth will strengthen the British Empire and, like, keep people Whoa. safe from being plundered. But the reality is that, like, pirates were truly democratic and, frankly, socialist and had health insurance and their elections for captain were purely democratic and they took care of all their people and gave them disability insurance and welcomed women as well as Native Americans and former black slaves and like all kinds of people into their ranks whereas the British Navy was racist, sexist, um, had no disability or health or accidental death insurance, um, paid a pittance, um, were oftentimes illegally pressing people into joining their crews, like had all these problems. But what started to happen was that um, pirates were becoming like folk heroes. <laughs> people were looking at them like Robin Hood style and being like, pirates are robbing from the rich and giving to the poor and like they let anyone enjoy it and like they rule. And of course the ruling class who are like, well, I like being in charge of things and I like the status quo and this disrupts the status quo. 
and like takes away what is comfortable for me, which is that I have money and power and order and I like things exactly the way they are because they benefit me very much. So this other thing is scary and new and bad and involves women and brown people, <laughs> which, you know, which we don't love. Um, so his thing was like, if I get rid of them, I get to preserve the status quo, the way of life, which is best because I, a white man, benefit from it, et cetera, et cetera. Like he obviously thinks he's doing the right thing by going out and eliminating all pirates who he sees as dangerous and disruptive and, um, you know, all this stuff. But to, I look at that and I'm like, that dude sucks. Like, that yeah. ass, like screw that guy. Like, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So, but he obviously thinks he's doing the right thing and probably for him and his way of life, like he totally is. Um, it just, it sucks. So no, but like, yeah, for him, that's the right thing to do. You know, that's what he thinks. And and in his mind, he goes home to his family or whatever. And he's like, Hey, I did this thing today. And he's, but the way it's, it just goes to show like, um, where you, you know, you go back and you tell people your story and they're going to believe your story because they love you or you know they're on your side and yeah. so you're always you know or they benefit like- from the same systems of oppression that you do like right. i read this one this we're sort of getting off topic now but i read this amazing book and everyone should read it by elaine weiss called okay. the woman's hour it's a non-fiction book i think Steel- spielberg is making a mini series of it now but it's all about the fight to pass the 19th amendment which gave women the right to vote in america in 1920 And two-thirds of the book takes place from the perspective of the women who were fighting for the 19th Amendment. And the other third of the book follows the conservative women who were fighting very hard to not have the 19th Amendment ratified. Which Mm. sounds bonkers, because how could someone argue against their own rights? But of course in America, the answer is always money and racism. And like, the answer, like, again, we're getting way off topic, but these women like... Their money came from factories, and they were afraid that if women got the right to vote, they would vote against child labor, which would decrease their profits. And their money came from whiskey breweries, and they were afraid that women would pass temperance because they were sick of their husbands getting drunk and beating the crap out of them, which was legal at the time, and would pass laws that would decrease the amount of whiskey being bought, which would decrease their profits. And alternately, they were also afraid that the number of black women in the South outnumbered the number of white women in the South, so that if women were given the right to vote, suddenly white women or white women would be outvoted by the interests of black women, and they would lose their place of privilege. And so these are the ways that white women end up voting for their own oppression, basically because of white supremacy and greed, like capitalist greed. Sure. And, like, these are the same stories we see playing out today and also that we see playing out when we talk about, like, fictional villains, right? Which is that, like, those women are, in my mind, villains. But in their minds, they're like, well, I want to preserve my way of life, which is built on the back of exploitative capitalism and racism. And so in order to do that, (laughs) I have to be an exploitative racist. You know what I mean? But they don't, they think, like, I am fighting the righteous fight. You look at women, like, um... Whatever, I'm getting too political now, but you look at women no, like I love Amy, it. I love Coney it. Barrett, yeah. and they think they're fighting a righteous fight, you know? But right. we look at that, and it's evil. <laughs> right. So it's it's all a matter of perspective, right? Um, yeah. I could never agree with that perspective, but that's the mindset you have to get into where you think, like, what are they scared of? How yeah. am I the villain to them? You know what I mean? Even if, like, I think that's right. nonsense. <laughs> right. And racist and- or sexist or whatever. <laughs> Sure. And, and that's incredible. The the way that you um, described it just now, it's just like this tangled cobweb of freaking, um, I don't know, headphone cables. Like, you know, that's how they get to where they think that they are because they, you know, they, they bring up either, you know, lies or what's factual or what's not or their ego comes into play. And it's sure. so many things totally. at once. And God, you know, it's it's. That's a whole nother podcast, girl. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it totally is. I think it's just on my mind because of everything that's been going on in this country lately and of stuff. Of course. But yeah, when you talk about villains, you're always talking about people who are um, doing what's right for them and what's bad for the people around them, I would right. say. Right. <laughs> sure. And even, you know, if they know it or they don't, that the, what they're doing, um, usually they don't. And sometimes they do. And it's disturbing. But um, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole thing. Yeah. It's both like, things are bad for different reasons. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 
I love it. No, I love where this conversation. We we don't go off track over here at OCD. We just go with the flow. So yeah, I love that. We go. <laughs> uh, well, I have one more one more question here for you, and I'm curious if you've ever gotten this one before. Uh, what's your favorite squad? Your favorite comic squad? Ooh. Um, or, or just a nerd well, squad. We already talked about Runaways, which I feel like is my answer for this. But okay, I think I this is maybe cheating, but I would say Sailor <laughs> Moon because it is a manga. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I would girl. say Sailor Moon because of kind of what we talked about before, which is like it's the only time I have ever seen, still to this day, basically, um, a team of like all women. I mean, mm. so there are like nine senshi. Like, there's so many of them. And yeah. each one of them is so different in ways mm. that, like, really, really matter. But they mm. all love each other and they're all fighting for the same thing, which is love and truth and justice but, and beauty. <laughs> um, but, they, but despite the fact that they all, like, have the same goals and want to be friends, like, they're all so different when you look at someone like, Yusagi, who's like a big, scared, crybaby, pretty immature, like doesn't want to deal with any of this, can't do math to save her own life. And then you have like an Amy who's like super book smart, shy, introvert, kind of weird. You have like Makoto, who is like gigantic and tough and could beat the crap out of you, but also like loves to cook and really just wants to get married and be a homemaker. (laughs) And like, I love that. And you have like uh, Mina, like the idol, like the K-pop, the J-pop idol, and like you know, you have all these different ways to be a girl represented, and none of them are wrong. They're all just different, and like all of them, despite their differences, are like best friends and work together in service of the same goal. And I'm a huge fan of that, and I try to put that kind of squad. Not that I could ever compare to that, but I try to put that <laughs> style of squad. I love a girl squad in all of my my work. Awesome. I mean, Sailor Moon popped up in Unstoppable Wasp. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. That was based on, there's a part in Unstoppable Wasp where Nadia talks about how she grew up with the Romanian version of Sailor Moon, um, mm-hmm. which is entirely dubbed over by one Romanian man who just, like, talks over the Japanese girl voices. And that, mm. in fact, is true. You can go on YouTube and you can wow. find the Romanian dub of Sailor Moon, which is just one <gasps> guy doing all the voices oh for all God. these girls. You can look it up. And I know this because oh my, my best friend is an immigrant from Romania. She grew up there. <laughs> and she was like, she hates the American dub because she loves the Romanian dubs so much because they sound much more like serious and mature because it's a middle-aged man, of course, oh doing all of these voices. Wow. And she showed it to me and I had to put it in the book because it's, <laughs> it's a real thing. You can go look it up and it's amazing. It's That's amazing. Awesome. <laughs> it's oh, so and then funny. she gets here and the American versions are like these teeny tiny like baby voices she was for like, the girls. Hit. I hate it. This is not, not my Sailor Moon. And I was like, okay, dude, that's fine. More power to you. I love, love that for you. I love yes. that for you. I love, it. I love that that's a thing. That's yeah. Amazing. Anyway, you know, I, a lot of people read it and were like, that's really funny. And I was like, no, dude, that's no. really true. And then they go and look it up and they're like, holy shit. <laughs> like amazed. <laughs> Oh, that's, so <laughs> that's so rad uh and like i mean i could go on and on about unstoppable wasp but you like i mean you got you got science girls in there i'm a i have a science major and i was like yes um i love Sweet. this and it was like you break down the science facts and just i mean all, speaking of fa- like weird not weird but like a unique facts that you threw in here and i was like in my head i was like i bet you a bunch of these things are real not just the science thing but like some other things that you threw in there and i was like i bet you i bet you these are real because totally. um, they just seem too good to be true kind of thing you know? <laughs> thank you all the science facts are real we had a psychologist on staff who checked all of the psychology and therapy sessions for oh. nadia and suggested some wonderful things and treatments and practices and methods for dealing with bipolar disorder or even anxiety that are all represented in the book. And we also had um, three wonderful STEM consultants um, also on the book to make sure that all the stuff I put in there was factually 
correct for Nadia's science fact, so you don't have to worry about that when you read it. It's all legit. <laughs> oh, I believed it. I believed it. Thank oh you. my gosh, no, it was just so well written. I know I keep bringing it, but bringing it up, but I literally just like just finished. Oh, that's like, so time. kind of you. Seriously, thank you. <laughs> and I have a couple of nonfiction books about women in the history of STEM and yes. girl squads throughout history as well. So if that's something you're interested in, you can read up on like, um, yeah, the real inspirations behind some of these gals. Amazing. 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 Um, and what are you working on now? What do you got coming out now? What's going on? I'm working on a lot of video games right now that I can't talk about, um, but you'll see those kind of pop up over the next couple of years. So I'm mostly focusing on that and I'm still writing Marvel Action Captain Marvel for IDW. That new series Woo! actually relaunches in January. We're relaunching with an all new number one. So if you haven't read up until now, you can start fresh. Um, it's number one this January at your local comic book store, or you can pick up the first trade. It's called Cosmic Cat Catastrophe because it's all about cats. Uh -huh. um, at your local comic book store, or library, or bookstore, um, or online bookstore, independent bookstore, whatever. Now, um, yeah. so still working on that. Yeah. Amazing. You're just you're on fire, girl. I mean, oh I knew gosh. you already knew that. But Thank you so much. Seriously. Dude, dude. No, and you know what? Like, I, I love, I know this is a small podcast, but, like, I love putting anybody that I can on, on blast, um, because especially, like, like writers like you, like, you, you're putting out the right message. You're putting oh, out the right you. message. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's so important. I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, highlighted, underlined, bolded, all these things, so... Um, this gosh, is a lot of fun. So... Thank you for having me. Oh my god, it's been a blast having you on here. Can it, can you tell us where we can find you out there in the uh, in cyberspace? Yeah, of course, on Twitter and Instagram. It's just my name, Sam Mags, S A M M A G G S. Um, it's my website as well. I'm on Twitter probably 24 hours a day, which is really unhealthy. So you can always <laughs> find me there. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you a, a gazillion, million, gazillion times. Really, really appreciate it, Sam. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Talk soon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Ongoing Comic Book Discussion Podcast. We'll see you next week. holiday season we're getting drunk join emily and flo as they drink their way through december with a different festive genre each week as voted for by you action horror classic what is eggnog children never really had a glass of milk anymore and never seen before i've never seen die hard so grab a sherry and a mince pie and join in the fun. Why this film's Drunk Christmas starts December the 1st. But you know, I think that's a part of growing up. You just, you get like these cartoons put immeasurable guilt on you about stuff you can't control and you just live with it. And that's life. <laughs> Merry Christmas.